If you're watching from home this morning on our live stream broadcast, if you have your Bible and here in the main sanctuary, if you would turn to 1 Kings chapter 18 this morning as we continue the story of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 18 and we're reading the first 15 verses together. While you're turning up that page, it may be helpful, especially if you're a visitor with us this morning or watching for the first time, to know a little by way of background information to the passage Over the last few weeks, we've been spending three Sunday mornings in chapter 17. Elijah has been called by God to challenge the king Ahab. And Ahab was not a good king. Please take it from me. We're going to hear a little more about Ahab in our study this morning. You would not want Ahab as your next door neighbor. He was a pretty nasty individual. And so Elijah was called by God to challenge Ahab. And then Elijah initiated a three or three and a half year drought and a famine as a result. And God took him away from the royal court to a small rural setting. And over the last few years, God has been taking Elijah through a period of extensive training, intense testing, which is refining and shaping him into the man of God that God has called him to be. And then after that period, he's about to be called back to the royal court to speak to Ahab. And so that gives you a little bit of the background as we come to chapter 18. And we're beginning at verse 1. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. And so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord, and while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him bowed to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go and tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong? asked Obadiah. That you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, this is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claim you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. 
And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Now, given that today, of course, is Mother's Day, I wanted to give a joke to the mothers and grandmothers among us. And I wanted to give you this joke because when you tell this at lunchtime or later today when your family call or come perhaps for supper tonight, this joke alone will make you the coolest mom or grandmom alive. It really is that good. And it involves dinosaurs, which will make you very popular with nine-year-old boys. So if you have got nine-year-olds in your family, this is the joke to tell them. Here it comes. Where do triceratops sit? Triceratops sit on their triceratops. Oh, please, it was better than that. Come on. Come on. Now, dads, don't steal this and use it because you will be tempted. This is for moms only to become the cool granny and the cool mom. Now, why does humor work? Well, humor works for simply this reason. You don't see the punchline coming. That's why it's funny. And when we come to 1 Kings chapter 18... Obadiah is about to be surprised by God at a level he simply could not see coming. And in fact, throughout these last few weeks together, if you have been joining us for worship, one of the principles I've been coming back to again and again is this. When God moves you to the place where you least expect to be, you can trust in the invincibility of God's grace. And we've seen that over these last two or three Sundays together as God has refined and fashioned and shaped Elijah. And we're about to see it with Obadiah in chapter 18. When God moves in such a manner, it's often because he's preparing you for what's to come. And he's certainly been preparing Elijah for the next few years. And you're going to see in subsequent Sundays how important that preparation actually is. And here is God called Elijah back to the royal court for the first time in three years. Ahab the king has been searching for Elijah everywhere. He is conscious that since Elijah started the drought and the famine, and if he ends the life of Elijah, the famine and the drought will also end. So that's a little bit more of the backdrop here. And here we are introduced to Obadiah. And Obadiah and Elijah have existed under the reign of Ahab. I mentioned earlier, Ahab was not a nice individual. His reign was dominated by bloodshed, assassinations, murder, malice, intrigue, immorality, conspiracy, deception, hatred, idolatry. And it lasted for six dark decades 
Those were difficult and challenging days to live in. And here is Elijah and Obadiah beginning to come to the fore once again to challenge Ahab. And of course, as we know from the passage, Obadiah is a senior member of the royal court. He looks after Ahab's estates, holdings, royal palaces. He looks after the livestock as well. I imagine to some extent he's a trusted individual who operates at the most senior level in Ahab's administration. And as the passage develops, we get to know what Ahab, the most powerful, influential person in the kingdom, we get to know what he does not know. He does not know, hasn't grasped that Obadiah has a deep abiding relationship with God. And when Jezebel, the queen, has been murdering the prophets of God, Obadiah very quietly has managed to save a hundred of them, gather enough food and water to sustain them, and he has been quietly, unobtrusively, without drawing attention to himself, been actively at work off to one side. And now... Ahab says to him, Obadiah, search throughout the lands, go to the areas where there are streams and rivers, gather whatever grass you can, so that we will not have to kill any of our animals. Now hold that thought for a second. Do you see anything strange or unusual in what the Bible has just described? That Jezebel and Ahab don't mind for a second taking human life from the prophets, but absolutely refuse to allow any of the livestock die. And that tells you a little about the imbalance of their values. Now naturally you never want any livestock to pass away, but to allow human life to be taken, pretty sad indeed. And so once again, you see a bit of a reflection on who Ahab and Jezebel actually were. And then, of course, Ahab, Obadiah go in separate directions. And then the scene changes. It is worth noting that the scene changes because at the beginning of the chapter, God calls Ahab to go and meet with, excuse me, calls Elijah to go and meet with Ahab, But in fact, the first person he meets with is not Ahab. It's Obadiah. And whenever you find yourself in a place where you are praying and praying and praying, believing God is leading you in a direction, you're following that deep conviction that he's answering your prayers and directing you, and suddenly you find yourself heading in another direction, it is worth paying attention Because that's exactly what has happened here. Elijah left Zarephath where we saw him last Sunday. He's heading to the royal palace expecting to meet Ahab. And in fact, he runs into Obadiah. And the question is, what is going on here? Why would God in his sovereign providential purposes start out, or so it would seem, heading in one direction, then suddenly... His plan is interrupted. 
But of course, you are educated enough in biblical studies to know his plan is never interrupted. It was all part of his purposes and eternal plan anyway. And so as Elijah meets uh, with Obadiah, notice what comes next. Verse 7, as Obadiah is walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed to the ground and said, Is it really you, my Lord Elijah? And of course we understand why he's bowing to the ground out of respect and reverence and we see that. And then notice how Obadiah responds. Obadiah says to him, Is it really you, my Lord? Yes, he replied. And then Elijah says the most simple of requests, Go tell your master Elijah is here. And notice the almost violent response in verse 9 when he says, What have I done wrong? asked Obadiah. That you are handing over your servant to Ahab to be put to death. And three times between verses 9 and 14, Obadiah says, if I go to the king and tell him this, he will put me to death. So the question is this, what is going on here? Why is Obadiah responding in this passionate, almost violent manner? What is happening? Well, what is happening is this, that Obadiah knows Ahab and he knows him well. He knows his background, he knows his history, he knows how violent he is. And if he goes to Ahab and says, I have found Elijah, he wants to meet with you, Ahab's going to say, now wait a minute, Obadiah, we have been searching for Elijah for the last three or three and a half years. We've been asking the neighboring nations, when they've told us there's no sign of him, we've said, are you absolutely sure? Can you swear to this? He is for all intents and purposes an outlaw. Obadiah, why has he come to you? Why has he met with you? Obadiah, do you know this man, Elijah? Have you been conspiring with him behind my back? Have you been corresponding together? And incidentally, Obadiah, I hear things about you that you're gathering water and food together and enough to feed a hundred people, but no one can ever tell where it's going. Obadiah, what on earth is going on here? And Obadiah is scared. He's fearful for his life. He's uncertain how any of this is about to work out. And he is deeply concerned. And more than that, he says in the passage, if I tell Ahab you're here and he comes looking for you and you're not here, because do you remember three years ago, you came and challenged the king and then you just up and left and disappeared and no one's been able to find you. What if you do that again? The king will get angry with me and he'll take my life. And of course, we're reminded of the principle. When God moves you to a place where you least expect to be, you can trust in the invincibility of God's grace. Now, Elijah knows that from experience, but Obadiah, not so much. And he's fearful and concerned. And then, of course, Elijah responds and says, Obadiah, be sure of this, I will meet with God today. 
Now remember, in the midst of all of this fermentation, when Jezebel is killing as many of the prophets of God as she can get her hands on, she's actively, violently seeking to eradicate them. Obadiah is pretty sure how this will end. So here's my question. You may be here today saying, okay, Richard, I've heard everything you've said. I think I've got it. I've got the contextual background in the history. I appreciate you telling us about the violence of Jezebel and Ahab. I've got that as well. You've painted the picture. But Richard, I want to ask this. How does this passage speak to me this morning? Because I doubt I will ever have a role of advisor to national leaders. I cannot for the life of me ever imagine that's going to happen. So that doesn't apply to me. Secondly, I doubt if I'll ever live through a drought and a famine. Therefore, I don't think it applies to me at that level either. Richard, I came this morning wanting to grow in my faith, increase my relationship with God in prayer. I wanted to see what are the principles that will help me mature in my faith. But from what you've said this morning, it sounds an awful like that's what was happening then, but it really doesn't have much to say to us today. Well, look at the principle again. When God moves you to the place where you least expect to be, you can trust in the invincibility of God's grace. Now let me explain. What happens if tomorrow morning you go into work and right out of the blue you're given your pink slip? What will you do? If your boss says to you, the last 14 months have been tough on everyone, we managed to get through them, but we are simply out of contracts, we're out of funding, there is nothing we can do, we're closing the business. What do you do? How do you respond? What if later this week, elderly parents or someone you know and love, the test results come back and they have colon cancer? What do you do? What if you are in your third year of college and you drop out? What do you do? What if your marriage is turning sour and fractures and ruptures and a nasty divorce is underway? What do you do? How do you respond? What do you say? Talk about unexpected. What if the person you've been married to for the last 55 years is showing signs of dementia? You're not sure if you can afford the health care that you need. What do you do? Fearful for the future? Uncertain? Concerned? Obadiah absolutely was. So was Elijah. And now we're beginning to see that there are from time to time circumstances and situations we find ourselves in. And they run parallel to each other. So often. What do you do? Let me move it to another level. What do you do when the society and the culture around you is saying to you that your Christian moral and spiritual values are of no use in a 21st century setting? 
They are archaic, narrow-minded, have little to say, primitive, in fact. Why on earth would you hold on to those old beliefs? And surely no one honestly believes that these days. What do you do? What do you do about a culture who is minimizing and marginalizing the sanctity of life in the womb? How do you respond? What do you say? Please hear this. Elijah and Obadiah were given the opportunity to speak out for moral and spiritual values in order to influence a culture and a society and a nation. And God had put them there, not by chance. Likewise, we have a voice and we have a choice. We can speak into the culture and the society around us. We can speak up for moral and spiritual values. We have a right to say that human life matters, whether it's in the womb at nine months old or 99 years old. Life is sacred. It is not to be dispensed with for the sake of convenience. However difficult and hard the inconvenience of a child in the womb is, it's sacred. And we don't ever take that life if it's avoidable in any way. We stand firmly. We stand gently. We stand graciously. We speak as Christian people. Let me take it to another level. This is a little more personable. And you may be sitting there saying, Richard, I can't believe you're going to go there this morning. Well, the passage, in fact, allows us to do exactly that, to speak into values that we as Christians hold to be self-evident. How do you respond when the person you've been dating for the last three and a half or four months is putting pressure on you to take your relationship to the next level in terms of personal intimacy. What do you say? But what you say is this, that the joy and the thrill and the fun of married life is the joy and thrill and fun of married life. It's not a matter of convenience or what feels good in the heat and passion of the moment. It's life long, richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. Sacred oaths that mean commitment and deep abiding love that gets richer and sweeter as the years go by. Not for the convenience of the moment, but to be enjoyed in its fullest expression within the bonds of marriage. And we speak up graciously and we take a stand and we do it carefully and we do it well. Never stridently, never aggressively, but we take a Christian stand on social issues and we absolutely should. How do we respond in those very personal, difficult situations? When relationships have indeed fractured, gone badly wrong, your emotions are caught up in all that you want to say, you're hot under the collar, 
Well, it's worth remembering that when we find ourselves in those difficult situations, that we are in charge of our attitude. We cannot control other people, how they think, react to what they say. Neither can we control the past. But we can control our attitude. Our responsibility is to focus on what we can control. Our attitude, our response, our emotions, our decisions. Now these are not easy to control. But prayerfully, carefully, Father, help me get this right. I'm hurting here. I'm in a dark place. Show me the way forward on all of the issues we've touched on. And when you prayerfully submit them and surrender them and pass them over to Him, please remember the principle. When God moves you to the place where you least expect to be, you can trust in the invincibility of God's grace. Obadiah was in the midst of realizing and learning that lesson. Elijah had learned it over the past three years. It speaks into our culture today that regardless of how difficult it may be, we have a voice. We have a choice. We can stand for Christian moral and spiritual values and we can absolutely trust in the invincibility of God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank you that it does speak into our lives. Help us, please, each one, to stand firmly, graciously, for moral and spiritual values that you teach us. And we know that you give them to us in order that our lives might be blessed and fulfilled and contented in you. Father, whatever we are facing this week, whether it would be a situation in our place of work, whether it be a health concern, whether it is moral values, spiritual values, enable us, please, to sense and feel the hand of your Holy Spirit upon us. Father, help us, please, to reach out and stand firmly and graciously for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.